0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July nineteenth, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The financial sector reform bill was thousands of pages, but somehow missed removing the special favors for so many of the key players in the housing meltdown and the financial crisis. Mark Calabria, Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute, comments.
1: Interestingly enough, the only times that Freddie and Fannie are mentioned in the, financial, in the Dodd-Frank financial services bill is when they continue to get carves out in special exemptions. You know, in terms of actually dealing with the problems of Freddie and Fannie that led and contributed to the crisis, uh, those are completely left out of the bill. What are some of the carve-outs
0: and exemptions that they've got?
1: Well, for instance, you know, there's a well-known new consumer protection agency that's in the bill that's supposed to protect us from the next crisis. Interestingly enough, Freddie and Fannie, as well as almost anybody, except for maybe mortgage brokers, almost anybody who had anything to do with the crisis, is carved out of the bill. So, you know, all these protections from new mortgages and credit cards and financial products, well, Freddie and Fannie have an explicit exemption from that. So that's one part of the bill they're exempt from. Uh, there's also the well-known Volcker Rule that uh, is supposed to limit the proprietary trading, which is the true trading that investment banks do on their own account. Well there's an exemption from proprietary trading if one of the instruments you're proprietary trading is Freddie and Fannie Securities, uh, which, interestingly enough, most of the proprietary trading that got Bear Stearns in trouble was proprietary trading in Fannie and Freddie Securities. So there's a lot of carve-out there that they're treated special throughout various parts of the bill. Uh, you know, they're not covered by various parts of it. They're given other exemptions that other, comp- that other private companies don't have. So in some sense... The bill further reinforces their privileged status, and that allowed
0: Freddie and Fanning to become what they were.
1: Clearly, if if people had not viewed, if they had simply been viewed as you know just a bigger cousin of Countrywide or, or any other private mortgage company. Uh, they would have not been able to borrow on the rights that they would have. We would have not had the government back all of their debt to the extent that they would have. Uh, we would have not have seen all that risk concentrated into a few companies. You know, more or less when I mean we had over. Four hundred some private mortgage companies, like Countrywide, like New Century, fail, and we and we continued on. Now, you know, we were able to to survive as a country with those companies failing because they weren't perceived as too big to fail. People took their losses now, but we treated Freddie and Fannie as something special, and it allowed them to accumulate more debt than there is actual debt owed by the U.S. Treasury. For instance, a lot of people are not aware that there's more Freddie and Fannie debt outstanding than there is U.S. Treasury debt outstanding.
0: What other groups have special exemptions in the bill?
1: Well, there's a starting with the Consumer Protection Agency again. Uh, insurance companies are exempt from it. All of Wall Street actually is exempt from it. All of Wall Street's oversight stays at either the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So you know we keep hearing that this is a bill that's going to you know go after Wall Street and re-regulate Wall Street. Well, Wall Street's exempt from a lot of the bill. Uh, you also have you know. Real estate agents are exempt from the bill. You know, there's great people who told you it's always a great time to buy and prices never go down. Well, they've got a personal carve-out too. Um, a variety of I mean, lawyers are exempt from the bill if they're doing any sort of financial protection. So there's a variety of things. And oddly enough, despite the fact that uh, – Say check cashers and pawn. Uh, say that check cashers and payday lenders are in the bill. Pawn pawnbrokers manage to get an exemption, as well as auto dealers get an exemption, uh, and so much of this seems to be far more driven by. You know, Do you have a good lobbyist to contribute a lot of money rather than does it make public policy sense? Other things that are left out of the bill are you know, we have a variety of incentives for homeownership uh, that go beyond Freddie and Fannie. Freddie and Fannie are certainly the biggest part of those. Uh, we've done nothing, for instance, in the bill to address the tax incentives for uh, high, being highly leveraged, both on the part of households such as the mortgage interest deduction or on the part of corporations where if they get to issue debt it's deductible. It's expensible. But if they issue equity, you know the dividends are taxable. So we have a tax code that heavily encourages leverage, both again by households and corporations. None of that's changed. Um, we haven't changed any of the incentives. Uh, for instance, that push banks to make loans, like the Community Investment Act, the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, there are a whole set of acts. You know, it's interesting, on one part of the bill, there are going to be things that make credit costlier, but we've maintained all the things in place that push banks to continue to make loans that they probably shouldn't be making in the first place.
0: And in the process of deleveraging, people don't really think about households doing it that much, think about businesses and governments doing it, but uh, it just seems completely intractable to try to change uh, how people finance their homes or how businesses finance their debt. I mean, it just seems like something that uh, the mortgage interest deduction, for example, it, getting rid of that is not something that voters would go for.
1: I think it depends. I mean, certainly if you presented it as a tax increase, people probably wouldn't go for it. I think you could structure it in a way that's that's budget neutral, Or essentially you're lowering uh, marginal tax rates at the top, which are essentially the people who pay most of the mortgage interest deduction. Because it's, it's worth remembering half of homeowners don't even claim the mortgage interest deduction they Don't itemize. Um, so you could structure this where the very people who claim the mortgage interest reduction get a tax offset somewhere else, and you sever that from the incentive to have debt so that nobody's really after, you know, so as nobody's tax burden is actually going up. They're just changing the incentive structure not to have as much debt. That's easily doable. Now, whether you could get the... It's not as much, I think, public broad support for it as much as it is the housing industry would greatly post it. People might buy less house. Exactly. I mean, there's a substantial amount of uh, research that's been done on the mortgage interest deduction. And the conclusions are, one, it doesn't go to anybody who wouldn't have bought a house otherwise. So the, the impact of the mortgage interest deduction on the homeownership rate is about nothing. Um, and two, the impact is it encourages people to buy more house than they would otherwise. Uh, and some degree of it gets capitalized into house prices, um, you know, to some extent. I mean, for instance, the National Association of Realtors has estimated and argued that uh, if you got rid of the mortgage interest reduction, house prices would fall by 15%. And I think for a variety of reasons, including the interest rate environment, that that estimate is, is way too big. But even if you took that estimate on face value, what it's arguably saying is that the, whole, the mortgage interest reduction makes housing 15% more expensive. Now. I guess if my compensation was a commission based on the price of the house, I might like houses to be more expensive. But there's not there's not an overwhelming public policy justification otherwise for let's simply make houses more expensive.
0: Housing was the asset that people put all their money into that uh, led to seriously overheated uh, market for housing. Is there anything that the bill does related to? future housing bubbles.
1: Interestingly enough, I think it's fair to characterize the bill is not actually seeing the housing bubbles the problem. Uh, I think the bill takes the perspective is the problem was that the bubble burst, not that you had a problem to begin with. Uh, and the bill also takes the perspective that, you know, the problem wasn't credit being too cheap or too widely available, which seems to me, obviously it was. Uh, but the bill takes the perspective that somehow credit was too expensive and too predatory. So in, in many ways, the bill takes perspective of we didn't have a housing bubble it was fine uh, but that said you know if one was going to address the housing bubble most of the things that, that uh, i and others have talked about such as fannie and freddie and such as uh, federal incentives for homeownership go through the demand side you know you're increasing the demand for housing but you know if you have supply that eventually that that can immediately come on board to meet that increased demand then you never have a bubble that begins with so you really do need some sort of rigidity and supply. You need some sort of supply constraint for to get bubbles off the ground. Uh, and this is one of the things that's gotten essentially close to no uh, no, no discussion. I, I will note Randy O'Toole here at Kato has talked about it, but he's been about one of the few, And that's the fact that you had in many places of the country very strict zoning and land use policies that ended up restricting supply. For instance, uh, on average in California, by the time the builder took a permit to the time he actually handed you the keys to move in was about two years. And so that's a tremendous amount of time for demand and supply to become disconnected. And it's in those elements when demand and supply become disconnected that you can really see bubbles develop in a big way. And so it's not by accident that really four or five states constitute the housing bubble.
0: To the extent that the bailout was something that angers a lot of people, what can we expect uh, within this legislation that might actually prevent uh, the Congress from pushing forward with something similar? Almost absolutely nothing.
1: Uh, and I would agree. I mean, what the public is angry and what the public probably wants most in any sort of regulatory reform is to end bailouts. Uh, and this bill absolutely does not end them. What it does is offer the promise of that regulators will so watch the system and so protect us that bailouts won't be needed. Uh, but what's important to, to emphasize is that the ability— at least in the part of the Federal Reserve, in terms of its thirteen-three, the actions it took with Bear Stearns and the actions it took with AIG, there is some cosmetic language in the bill that's a little bit of an obstacle, but, it, but there's enough holes in that that almost anything that was done by the Federal Reserve in 2008 could be done again under this bill. And then, of course, there's the FDIC debt guarantee program that was done during the crisis, which to me is essentially a bailout uh, of creditors. So any of the bailouts that were done by either the Fed or the FDIC could still be done under this bill. Uh, They don't go away. The possibility of bailing out is still there. Uh, Obviously, if you had to have something like a TARP, which I would note, all of the original purpose of the TARP to buy troubled assets could be and was done by the Federal Reserve. I mean, the Federal Reserve bought a trillion dollars in mortgage-backed securities, which was the initial purpose of the TARP. Um, so there is almost nothing that was done that really, I think, incited people and angered people that can't be done again. Now, once again, the promise of the authors of the bill is that, well, we're going to you know empower the regulators so that they, won't, they don't ever come to that. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, and as long as financial institutions and more importantly the people who lend money to financial institutions know that they can ultimately be bailed out again, you really will continue to see a lot of risk taking in the economy. So you're not, you're not really – you haven't increased the, the market discipline that you need to prevent crises from occurring in the first place.
0: Mark Calabria is director of financial regulation studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.